Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Dan Nigren, CIO at Main Health. In part one, Nigren talks about how having to jump right into the fire at Main Health actually benefited him, the enormous impact of being able to operate as a system rather than separate entities, especially during COVID, and how the organization is leveraging remote patient monitoring to keep readmission rates down. At CrowdStrike, we stop breaches, and it all starts with a tiny endpoint software sensor that works on Windows, Linux, Mac, and mobile, deploying fast with no reboots and no blue screens. We protect nearly 200 healthcare organizations, with more joining us every day. Find out more about the power of the crowd at crowdstrike.com backslash healthcare. A lot of people are familiar with Maine Health, but if you could just give a, a brief overview of what you have in terms of hospitals and kind of how you're set up. Sure. So Maine Health is the largest healthcare system in northern New England, serving Maine, obviously, and also northern New Hampshire. There's 12 hospitals. We're roughly $3 billion uh, a year, 22,000 or so employees, 1,700 physicians, an employed medical group as well. Typical kinds of things you, you would see uh, home health care uh, agency, behavioral and mental health care uh, network as well. Uh, we're headquartered in Portland, Maine, which I'm getting to know and which is a fantastic city. That's where the, the flagship uh, facility is, uh, Maine Medical Center. That's our largest uh, facility, roughly about 650 beds or so. And then with the remainder of our facilities uh, scattered throughout uh, Maine and, and New Hampshire, as I said. It's an organization that's very community-centric. In fact, the mission statement for the organization is working together so our communities are the healthiest in America. And together, that word together is emphasized in a big way because they really do feel as though they're, they're an active part of their community. Um, we, mm-hmm. I, I have to get you started. I have to get accustomed to saying we rather than they. Um, so we really do feel as though we're an essential component of the community and work collaboratively with the community to achieve that, that vision. And then the last thing I'll mention is that it's a relatively new system. We only unified officially in the last couple of years. Prior to that, it was a looser affiliation of several facilities, but it's, it's formally been all in one organization, single board and all of that, only within the, the last couple of years. So to some degree, we're still going through some of those initial Um, steps that occur when a system comes together, uh, including within the IT realm, and and we can talk about that as well. But that's it in a nutshell, a really positive experience so far, as I said. Yeah. Okay. And you've been there about six months. Yeah, just after January 1. I thought I I had it planned out perfectly, Kate. Things were (laughs) slowing down with the pandemic. I thought, okay, you know, now is maybe a little bit quieter time and and I could uh, make the transition. And so obviously we all know what happened in in the late fall. And so right when I got there, you know, we were in a big surge and we were rapidly trying to get uh, you know, immunization, uh, distribution, and administration done. And so it was definitely trial by fire early on, and I had to learn fast. But, you know, that was the silver lining, too. It forced me to, to get to know my team very well. It forced me to collaborate with my peers uh, across the organization right, right out of the gate. And so, 
you know, it was helpful in that way. Uh, it was a little bit uh, crazy for a while, but now that mm-hmm. that's behind me, I'm feeling, I'm feeling much more settled. Okay. Now, when you first came in, as, as you just alluded to, it, there was so much going on. So what was your strategy as far as, you know, what happens first? <laughs> what do we do first? Well, as I said, um, you know, we were very focused, right, when I arrived on vaccine administration. First, it mm-hmm. was our own uh, employees, you know, those 22,000 people, the, you know, the, the group that uh, as a healthcare facility, we were in the first phase. And so we needed to set up our own vaccine administration sites uh, distributed through all of our facilities. I will add that, you know, we've got a lot of ground to cover uh, in Maine. Many of the uh, facilities that are part of Maine Health are in pretty rural, rural parts of the state. And so mm-hmm. just logistically, it was, uh, it was a challenge just thinking about how to, to get the vaccines there, you know, what the storage capacity was um, in each location and so on. You know, not dissimilar, I'm sure, from many sites uh, around the country, many healthcare facilities, but um, we wrestled with it too. And so that was, that was priority number one. And then uh, again, as we all know, soon after we started to focus on immunizing uh, large portions of our population. And um, so we did uh, what many other organizations and local governments uh, did, and that was to set up mass vaccination sites. We had a really interesting one that we helped to set up. Uh, It was at the Scarborough Downs Horse Track. This is a a horse racing facility that uh, used to be quite active. It closed its doors a couple of years ago. And so it was just sitting there unoccupied. And uh, basically, we uh, helped to outfit uh, that site, you know, network connectivity, the whole, the whole bit. And um, we were able to, within a matter of a few weeks, set that uh, facility up to be one of our largest um, mass vaccination sites. And we delivered lots and lots of vaccine there over the course of the next several months. Um, an incredible statistic although we're, we're now winding down with regard to the mass vaccination sites, as again, many places are, and have shifted our focus to you know, providers' offices, uh, schools, uh, things like that. But all in all, so far, we've administered at Maine Health almost a third of the entire state's vaccinations, which is an incredible oh, wow. statistic to me. Um, it just shows you know, A, how large the, the organization is, but also, I think in a bit of a unique way, Maine as a state pursued the integration and um, assistance from its largest healthcare facilities to be part of the vaccination effort, perhaps a bit more so than than other uh, communities around the country uh, that did a little bit mm-hmm. more through government-based efforts. So, um, you know, it, it certainly kept us busy, but again, it, it made us feel like we were doing justice to our mission around being a big part of our community. And um, so it's been a very successful enterprise. We, uh, we've been one of the uh, states that had the highest vaccination rates um, since they started measuring that. And I think we're still up in the top one or two or three. I've lost track now, but we've definitely exceeded that 70% mark um, several weeks ago, in fact. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's really impressive. And as you're doing all of this, how did it come into play, the fact that Maine Health had that, that loose affiliation before, but has really kind of only recently become a system? So how has that uh, impacted like how you've done things? Well, it's it certainly helped us in many ways. Obviously, when we've got um, 
a central sort of decision-making uh, body and, um, and orchestration for things like IT, which I think do benefit from having a unified approach and not um, scattered approaches in, in every location. Uh, that's certainly been helpful. I think, you know, it was a realization on the part of all of the organizations that made part of that loose affiliation in the, pa in the past that there were benefits to be had by, um, by integrating formally, uh, you know, efficiencies of, of scale and so on. And so the fact that we had that in place prior to the pandemic, I do think was quite fortuitous because it allowed us to be more, more nimble and to deploy uh, things more efficiently when the time came to, uh, to do all of these things. I think the other benefit is uh, when thinking about other aspects of the pandemic and how we've had to deal with that around, uh, for example, telehealth and, and being able to deploy that rapidly across our system. I think that would have been much more challenging had we you know, been, a, been a more fractionated enterprise. Our ability to have a single video visit platform, have that deployed across the entire system, have the support uh, in place for both our providers as well as for our patients to be able to you know, get up to speed on this new way of doing things. That was definitely an asset for us and we made good use of it, um, again, like many organizations throughout the country. Right. For those 12 hospitals, are they all on the same system at this point? Yeah, all but one. We're, uh, we're an EPIC organization. Okay. The last one, uh, we're in the throes of implementation now with a go-live plan for November. And uh, all signs are pointing that that will uh, be successful. We've, we've gotten quite good at it as we've marched through the, the 12 facilities. So uh, that will be an important milestone for us as a system to be completely on a single platform throughout the enterprise. And then, you know, we're really going to focus, as many organizations have, around the optimization that inevitably needs to happen after you've, you've had a, a series of individual activations in each of these organizations. I think one thing that we've sort of been hindered by a little bit is that because of that loose affiliation in the past, the timetable mm -hmm. for how we've deployed the EHR across all of these facilities was probably longer than it would have ideally been had we been unified from the get-go. And so right. there's been a many year period of time between the original deployments, for example, at Maine Medical Center versus where we are today. And so because of that long time period, I think we, we have a fair amount of, of optimization, standardization across all of the sites, and that'll, that'll be uh, one of our many focuses uh, in the coming years. Yeah, I, I can imagine that that's, it's a challenging thing to, to step into, but obviously you knew going in that this is, this is such a big part of uh, the organization's long-term plan. Yeah, absolutely. I, I knew what I was stepping into for sure. Quite thrilled to be part of an organization that, that already had, you know, obviously one of the uh, most highly regarded EHRs for the most part in place already. And so I'm eager to, mm -hmm. uh, to work on, on optimizing that and, and building it out and getting the most use out of it as we all can. Right. Okay. So um, you have that last go live coming up in the fall. And, and what are some of the other uh, like pressing things on your plate? Sure. Well, you know, if, uh, let me go back to telehealth for a minute, because I do yeah. think that uh, obviously video visits is, is one very important aspect of telehealth. Uh, again, as we've all experienced over the last year, year and a half now, 
and we're still doing a fair amount of our of our ambulatory visit volume through that uh, methodology. I think at last count, we were at about 14% of, of our ambulatory visits are still being done through a combination of either video asynchronous visits or via phone-based encounters. We actually have a little bit of a higher uh, phone percentage than other organizations. And there's multi-factors uh, uh, that, that are behind that. But one of the major ones is, again, because uh, Maine is is still quite a rural environment. There's parts of the mm -hmm. state that frankly just don't have adequate internet connectivity. Uh, we also have a pretty old population. Uh, Maine represents the state with the oldest average age of its residents. And so I think that too hinders our ability to, to have as much penetration of, of technology-based visits, video visits, as uh, some other parts of the country. But nonetheless, the combination of the two, telephone and, uh, and video visits, is about 14%, uh, which I think is on par with many other parts of the country. But we're doing much more than that, and that's the point that I wanted to make. Mm -hmm. We're doing um, asynchronous uh, visits, being able to do store and forwards kinds of uh, consultations for patients you know, th in, in subspecialties like dermatology and so on. In uh, our behavioral health video visits are through the roof. Again, like many other places, that's seen a remarkable acceptance and uh, enjoyment, I think, from our patients' perspective. So I think those numbers are extremely high in the 75, 80 percentile, I believe. And, and we're doing a lot of additional things. So, so for example, we've got uh, some setups where we do site-to-site -site video visits in places, parts of, the, parts of the system that are more rural, where subspecialists are more difficult to, uh, to come by. We uh, will have the patient come into their local site so that they can get um, monitoring done, blood work done, et cetera. But then they'll have their encounter with their clinical provider done through a video visit uh, together with another one of our locations. So that's a, one of our site-to-site -site, uh, setups that we've got in place. Um, we're doing a lot of e-consults, provider-to-provider consultations, asynchronous, when you know there needs to be a consultation with one of the, the folks, for example, in Portland, and essentially get a what you would normally have called a curbside consultation, doing those a bit more formally and using technology. But the last one that I'll mention is remote patient monitoring. And again, this is one that COVID really, really fueled and, and emphasized for us. We've got several programs in place now where we're monitoring patients using technology in the home environment. We've got cardiac patients who uh, have been hospitalized, and then as part of their post-discharge uh, monitoring, we send them home with, uh, with technology that allows us to do routine assessments of their vital signs and other parameters. And those are monitored on a daily basis by, by clinicians on, on the system side. And when something seems not quite right, we'll actually reach out to the patient proactively to say, hey, we noticed your, your numbers are a bit off today. Can you let us know what's going on and so on? So that's been extremely beneficial for us. Our 30-day uh, readmission rate for these patients has um, dropped precipitously, and it's, it's really been successful. We've got other uh, areas that we're focusing on around hypertension and monitoring patients 
uh, in their home environment to ensure um, they're staying on their meds and so on. And we've got another one focusing on obesity, where we're, we're trying to take measures to get folks to be able to, to lose weight in their home environment. And that's uh, using connected scales and so on. So I really do see uh, the pandemic as having helped to, to stimulate RPM in a big way. And I do think, as, as many of us are starting to read in uh, publications and so on, this notion of hospital at home, I think, is really mm-hmm. going to uh, begin to take off over the course of the next several years. Uh, again, uh, largely because we were forced into it to some degree. COVID. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.